people, um, this morning, if uh, you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 14, 1 through 23. Thank you, husband. So um, I'm going to need your help. This is a long one. Please read with me the verses in bold. Now at Iconium, Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, rose up and entered the city, on the next day, he went on Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning and Happy New Year.
My name's Jeff, um, and yes, I was responsible for that 23-verse reading. <laughs> Let's um, go before the Lord in prayer. Abba, Father, we are so thankful, Lord, as another year is upon us. That is a year that we know you, a year that we know your son, Jesus Christ, and we look forward to your spirit ministering to us, Lord, and guiding us and blessing us in the days ahead. And Father, we ask as we open your word now together that you would be our teacher, that you would show us things, Lord, in your word that will change our lives, Lord, and we just pray that you would minister to us, comfort us, bless us, exhort us, challenge us. Lord, let your, your word by your spirit work in us in whatever manner we need it. And we just lift this time up to you in Christ's name. Amen. So let's try just a little experiment. I'm going to read some words to you and, and just what is it that comes to mind? What images do you see when you hear these words? Danger, violence, wild mobs, sacrifices to the gods, attempted murder. No, I'm not recounting my life before I came to Christ. Though, to be honest, there are some similarities in that list. Um, you may have thought that I was describing the uh, latest offering during Family Hour on ABC. Um, but actually, in reality, you may have caught that as you read those 23 verses where actually those words all describe the passage we're going to look at this morning. So let's just take a minute to set the context for chapter 14. Before we start there in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, they've been sent out by the Lord on what is known as the first missionary journey. They've been traveling from town to town, and verse 5 of chapter 13 tells us what they would always do when they arrived in a city. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God. So throughout this missionary journey in chapter 13 and on into chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, they were very consistent in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ wherever they went. But we're also going to see that there was a significant inconsistency in the way that the gospel was received by those who heard it. Some believed and were saved while others rejected the message as well as the messengers who delivered that. Now, isn't that the case whenever we attempt to share the gospel with the world around us? Sometimes it bears fruit, at least we see the fruit, and other times it's rejected. And, um, and really, that's what we see Paul and Barnabas doing as well, getting those mixed results. So as chapter 13 comes to a close, Paul and Barnabas, they've just been kicked out of the region of Antioch for spreading the word of the Lord. But the final verse of chapter 13, I think it gives us hope whenever we see that mixed reaction when we seek to share God's love with others. Acts 13, verse 52 and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. 
So they've, they've just been ran out of this town for sharing the gospel, yet Luke tells us that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So as we come to chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, they're still doing their thing. They've been kicked out of Antioch for preaching the gospel, and now they've arrived in Iconium. So let's pick up in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. So Paul and Barnabas, they arrive at Iconium and they head to the synagogue and we're told in verse 1 that they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now when I see the words spoke in such a way, I want to, to know a little more about the way that they spoke. I mean, what was it about the way they spoke that resulted in the second half of verse 1, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Now, roughly six or seven years after these events in chapter 14, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. And in that letter, he shared insights regarding his speaking style and some of the lessons that he learned as he went about sharing the gospel message. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul, for Paul, the heart of the gospel was Jesus Christ and him crucified. But Paul tells us he didn't, he didn't deliver the gospel or present it in, in a rapid fire manner like, like a vegematic salesman at the home and garden show. Paul tells us that he had fear when he shared the truth, that, that he even trembled he did not have an excellence of speech. He wasn't a smooth talker. Paul didn't have the option of even a PowerPoint presentation. Yet there were many people who believed. Why? Because the power of God was at work. Now back in Acts 14, Luke gives us insights as to why the way they spoke was so effective. Verse 3, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So first of all, we see that Paul spoke for the Lord. So his primary focus was on the Lord. It wasn't on himself. He wasn't wrapped up in himself. He was focusing on the Lord and what the Lord had called him to do. And did you notice what the Lord was up to while Paul and Barnabas were sharing the gospel? As they spoke, the Lord bore witness to the word of his grace. So the Lord himself was witnessing 
through these Christians who were walking in intimate fellowship with their Creator. The Holy Spirit, who had come upon the church at Pentecost, was bearing witness to the hearers and confirming the message in their hearts and in their minds as Paul and Barnabas shared the gospel. But again, while some will respond favorably to the message, some will not. Look again at verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now notice what the unbelieving Jews did not do. They did not present a logical point-by-point refutation of the gospel message. Instead, we're told that they poisoned their minds against the brothers. Not against the gospel, but against the brothers. They couldn't disprove the message of the risen Christ. So what did they do? They resorted to the time-honored approach of attacking the messengers instead. Now in verse 5, the opposition in Myconium is really heating up. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now if I was Paul, and I had just narrowly escaped being abused and stoned by a wild mob, I'd be thinking, apostle needs a vacation. (laughs) I mean, I'd be seriously thinking about maybe heading down to Crete, taking a week or so on the beach, working on my tan, you know, just chilling out for a while. But, But Paul just wasn't that way. There was an old British pastor, and he was marveling at the level of persecution that Paul had endured time and time again. And when he looked at the life of Paul, this British pastor, he shook his head, and he said, every time Paul entered a city, they started a riot. Whenever I show up, they offer me a cup of tea. But look again at verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. What a beautiful consistency and steadiness that Paul and Barnabas had in the Lord. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of popularity, these two just kept proclaiming the truth. They remained faithful no matter what. So Paul and Barnabas, they've been driven out of Iconium and they end up in the city of Lystra. Verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Now the writer of the book of Acts was Luke. And Luke, who wrote this gospel, wrote his gospel named Luke and also this book of Acts. He was a physician and he gives in the Greek words here, he gives a rather detailed description of, of this man that Paul and Barnabas met at Lystra. Um, Dr. Luke tells us that the man could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and he had never walked. Now, if Paul had been looking over his shoulder, wondering when the next mob would come after him, he might have walked right past this crippled man. But Paul, very much like his Lord, Paul is other-centered. Paul is aware and sensitive of the needs around him, the needs that come before him. Verse 9, He, the crippled man, he listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, 
and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to, to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So the Holy Spirit works through Paul, touches this man who had been crippled from birth and heals him. And when the word spreads of this miraculous event that this man had been made whole, the people of Lystris jump to the mistaken conclusion that Paul and Barnabas are gods that have come down to visit them. So they thought that Barnabas was Zeus, and apparently they pegged him as Zeus because from what we understand historically, he was most likely more dignified physically in appearance than Paul was. Paul was a rather beat up gentleman. Um, and they identified Paul as Hermes. Now in Greek mythology, Hermes was not only Zeus's son, he was sort of a junior god, but Hermes was also the messenger or the spokesman for the gods. So it makes sense that Paul being the lead speaker on this missionary journey, it makes sense that he would be tagged as Hermes. Now I don't know about you, but me personally, I have never been mistaken for a Greek god. <laughs> now more than once, usually when I'm at the beach, I have been mistaken for Barney Fife, <laughs> but, but never ever a Greek god. Now there's a danger here that threatens Paul and Barnabas that I believe is more of a threat to their witness of Christ than, than even the crowd that might turn on them. And that threat is their own pride. Now me, if I had been used by God to heal a crippled man, and I'm surrounded by this adoring crowd, I would immediately sit down and write a book. And then I would produce a tape series, and that would be called How I Did It, Six Steps to an Easy Healing Ministry. And I'd head out on a speaking tour, I'd, link, you know, I'd mingle with the little people, and if they were really lucky, I might even sign a copy of my book for them. But we have a wise God. He made sure that I wasn't there. And instead, he went with Paul and Barnabas, walking in the spirit. Their pride was held in check. And they, they kept their egos where they needed to be kept. Verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. So without taking Paul's speech here and breaking it down verse by verse, 
his main strategy here is he's pointing out the contrast between the false gods that the people of Lystra had been worshiping and the true and living God of the Bible that Paul served. Now, a few years back, there was a Christian band that played at a Calvary Chapel in Modesto, and they were selling bumper stickers at this concert. And the bumper stickers said, my God is alive, sorry about yours. And in the last half of verse 15, Paul tells them, you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So in a nutshell, in Paul's speech or sermon here, he's saying, my God is alive, sorry about yours. Now, once Paul and Barnabas realize what is happening, they rush into the crowd, they try to put a stop to any worship of them, and they do this by pointing the people away from their false gods to the true and living God of Scripture. Now, unfortunately, when you share the truth about God's love and grace, not everyone wants to hear it. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, obviously, popularity before men, it can be a very fickle thing. One minute, the crowd is determined to worship Paul and Barnabas. They want to bring sacrifices to them. And the next thing you know, verse 19 happens. But the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, many years back in, in Newsweek magazine, there was an article, and in that article, they quoted a man named Matt Healy. He was 46 years old at the time of the article, and he was a circus performer. And he was commenting on his life in the circus, and he said, quote, when you reach my age and you find yourself eating light bulbs for a living, you know that you've made some bad career moves along the way. Now, <laughs> Paul must have been wrestling with some serious doubts in regards to his career choices. He's, he's been pummeled with rocks, dragged outside the city, and left for dead. Now, hold on just a minute. I want to make a note here. My Bible, by verse 19, never complain. Okay, there we go. But in all seriousness, it wouldn't be a bad idea to write that in your Bible. I mean, just reading about this tack of Paul and trying to envision him with these stones striking his body and the pain that he went through, just reading about it hurts enough. But Paul lived this. Paul lived this because of his, his, his love and his obedience to his Savior. But instead of doubting his Savior, Paul remains faithful no matter what the circumstances. God had just used Paul to heal a crippled man in Lystra. The crowd had been ready to worship him, but when he pointed them to the true and living God, his stock plummeted, and they stoned him and threw him out of town. Now in verse 20, we see how Paul responded to this brutal attack. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. 
Paul rose up and entered the city. He was so badly injured that many people thought he was dead. And what does he do? He gets up and goes back into Lystra. I mean, you must be asking yourself, what the heck is Paul thinking? These people want him dead, and he gets up and he goes back into town? Now, I was, uh, several years back, I was part of a small group study through the book of Acts, and when we were looking at this passage, one of the members of the group, they suggested that Paul's motivation, they, they put it in two words, they called it godly defiance. And, and I agree with that. Perhaps Paul was thinking, I am not about to leave Lystra on your terms. I serve the true and living God, and I will leave this town when my God calls me to leave this town. And I think that makes sense. And if you consider Paul's track record and his personality, it, it does make sense that godly defiance would be part of his motivation here. But I think there's another side to Paul's thought as well. Paul knew that in Lystra, in that town he'd just been thrown out of, he knew there were new believers in Christ. He knew, he knew there were people whose hearts had been stirred by the gospel and that they had been touched by the Holy Spirit and that they had come to believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he knew that those people, those new believers, that they would run into persecution as well and that they would need encouragement to keep moving forward in their walk with Christ. Try to imagine what it meant to those young believers as they saw this apostle stoned nearly to death, and then later that day he walks back into town to encourage them and to see them before he leaves. Now back in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas had been chased out of Antioch. Then in Iconium, God had alerted them and saved them from an impending attack. In Lystra, God had sustained Paul through this stoning. And the Lord had brought him through this, this very painful trial alive. And after all this, you'd think it would be time for a break. But again, Paul just wasn't wired that way. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Luke tells us something really worth noting at the end of verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. They went back to Lystra, where Paul had been stoned and left for dead. They went back to Iconium, where they'd barely escaped with their lives, and they went back to Antioch, where they'd been run out of town. Why did they circle back to those cities again? Because they knew that the power of God for salvation was in the gospel that they proclaimed, and that that gospel was bearing fruit and spreading. 
the gospel of grace, the good news that Jesus Christ, God the Son, had visited this planet and taken on human flesh, that he had been nailed to a cross outside of Jerusalem where he died in our place for our sin. But after three days in the grave, he had risen from the dead that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. And after 40 days of appearing to various witnesses, over 500 people, our Savior ascended into heaven to the right hand of his Father, where he is to this day interceding for you and me before the Father's throne. And in heaven, he poured out his Spirit on the church at Pentecost. And that young church in Jerusalem was, was persecuted and scattered into Judea and Samaria, but they took the gospel with them. And now on the first missionary journey, the gospel was being carried even further, and men and women were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. God had established a beachhead in Galatia. He had raised up small churches in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And Paul and Barnabas were circling back to these cities to strengthen and encourage their new brothers and sisters in Christ. In closing, let's read Luke's words again, beginning in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and Lord, we thank you for our brothers Paul and Barnabas. Lord, for the incredible ministry you called those two men to, and we thank you for their faithfulness, Lord, no matter what, no matter what came at them, Lord. And Father, I ask for that same kind of faith that you would nurture it and grow it in each one of us, that regardless of the way 2022 plays out for us, Lord, that we would remain faithful in you, that we would know, Lord, deep in our hearts beyond a doubt that you are a living God and that your son died for us and rose again that we might live with you for eternity. Make that precious reality, just press it, Lord, deep into our hearts and minds. May we carry it with us throughout the year ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.